0: Hello and thank you for listening. I am so excited to say that I now have a Patreon that you can go to. I'll make sure I include the information in the show notes. But I have multiple tiers you can choose from. $1, $3, and $5 tiers. The $1 Spooky Soul tier gives you access to an online Discord community that is filled with fellow Spooky Souls. If you want to talk about creepy cozy things you might be interested in that the two dollar cryptid creature tier lets you have that online community as well as giving you early access to episodes bonus content and secret bonus content and the five dollar Kachu cuddler tier named after my fluffy squish-faced kitty lets you have that online community early access to episodes and the bonus material but it also lets you suggest future episodes, and I'll shout out your name during each episode. Thank you so much for your listenership and support, and I can't wait to talk to you more soon. Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome back to this super special episode where it's the 70th and I'm fighting myself to keep from doing a mega deep dive like I usually did every 10th episode, but I do want this one to be special. So I am having my second ever in-person interview with my brother, Caleb. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about a special interest of his, which are sitars or sitars. I never know where the emphasis should be and on which syllable I should put that emphasis. But Um I was really intrigued with some of the stuff he was sharing with me. He's new to learning about them and he actually has a sitar that he's learning how to play. I think he's slightly mastered the paint it black song, (laughs) which is awesome. And I might have him like play some and send me the recording of it so that I can add it into the episode. But welcome Caleb.
1: Hi, so I'm Caleb. Um, I, I have a background in uh, game development, um, and I this is like my first instrument that I've been learning how to play because um, guitar just wasn't really my thing. Uh, but sitar is uh, quite a fun experience and uh, a very joyous challenge.
0: Also, of course, Kachu is here. Do you want to say something, Kachu?
1: Uh, so I'm in game design, and I thought the... So I've done pretty much next to nothing with uh, uh, music. So I know of, like, a scale, but I don't really know what to do with that yet. Uh, but my, my goal is um, to be, um, like, proficient enough to be able to um, interject some of my playing into the games that I make. Also, the reason I want to learn uh, sitar in the traditional way, um, like with a guru and... Uh, like with the uh, Rob, which is the special pick, uh, is so I can uh, learn the rules so I can break them properly and then infuse them into um, Western music, uh, such as rock and roll. Um, so if you were unaware, um, in the late uh, 1960s, um, sitar became um, quite a musical staple, almost to the point where um, if you look back at the culture of the late 60s the sitar pretty much was almost um a mainstay similar to like um a keyboard or like a jazz organ it was very it it, um it kind of stopped its popularity went away um into the 70s but uh like it could have been a musical staple up until like modern times but instead it was kind of a fad However, you have most likely heard it in songs like um, Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones, uh The End by the Doors, um, Indian Summer by the Doors. Uh Sitar is also used in like um more um abrasive ways. <laughs> um sim- uh Wherever I May Roam by Metallica uses a sitar in the beginning uh Redbone the band in uh Come and Get Your Love they use an electric sitar.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I love that song and Redbone is a really cool indigenous um band.
1: Yeah, okay. I really like them. Um Beaded Dreams Through Turquoise Eyes is probably um a great example of how like versatile the uh electric sitar can be. Um It's the Dan Electro Choral Sitar, if you were interested and wanted to look it up. Uh, That's, like, what it's called. Uh, There's also The Cure uses um, a song, uh, and it's If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. Uh, That whole track is sitar. There's also Ravi Shankar's, one of his sons, experimented with the uh, Moog synthesizers, which is, like, what you hear a lot in the 80s, and he played sitar over them. He did covers of... um, songs. So he has a self-titled album that's really cool. Um, and it's worth checking out cause it's a lot of like rock songs, but it's covered by sitar. Ananda Shankar is, um, the son's name from the, the eighties. Um, or wait, oh, I guess this is the seventies. Interesting. Um, anyway, he experiments with the, uh, the synthesizer and, um, I really want to mention, uh, shocking blue. Because they are um, a Netherland um, rock uh, band from the sixties and seventies, and they um, incorporate sitar a lot into their stuff. Um, it's probably the best example of raga rock. As in, they have "Aka Raga" is one of the is one of their songs, and it is entirely instrumental, but it's like a a Western like drum set played along with um, a sitar, and it's very cool. Um, they also have songs like uh, Love Buzz, which um, ga- which feature like a sitar solo and a bunch of stuff. They have a female vocalist, um, and uh, Love Buzz was so popular that uh, Nirvana um, covered them on their first album, on Bleach. Uh, there's a song called Love Buzz, and that's a 60s song from Shocking Blue. Um, Hot Sand is another one that features sitar predominantly. And uh, I Am A Woman is the other uh, sitar song that I really like. They have a few others, but uh, they're worth checking out. Their music's very cool. And then uh, the Beatles also used um, the sitar a bunch. Uh, In fact, um, Ravi Shankar, that I will talk about later, uh, taught George Harrison how to play the sitar. So the Beatles used the sitar in uh, Love You Too, uh, Norwegian Wood, all across the universe, and um, a few other songs. Also, the um, the very first example of a sitar use is the Yardbirds, um, which is Eric Clapton's like first band or first uh, successful band that he was a part of, um, and they used sitar. Uh, that was like their first one. Norwegian Wood was the first recording released to the public um so it was all kind of the indian um sound influence was all coming in it around the same time which is like the mid to late 60s
0: I know that when Caleb started telling me about the sitar, I was really surprised of how much I had already heard songs with it in it, um, with the sitar in it and the sitar sound. And it has just such like a very beautiful yet unique sound to it. Um, And we'll get more into it in a little bit, but it's supposed to encompass the human voice. So the sitar is a stringed instrument and it's made out of a gourd or it used to be. Um, and it comes from India and South Asia in particular. And not only does it sound have an odd sound to it, one that like encapsulates the vocal range, but it also has a spiritual significance that we'll get into in a little bit. It's supposed to bridge the gap between the material world and the metaphysical world and kind of bringing this like transcendent auditory experience to the person playing, but also the person listening. So it actually has roots to an older instrument called the vena. And that's also, it it looks very similar, but it evolved into the instrument it is today. Um, And the modern form that it took on by like the gourd shape resonator and like a long fretted neck is from around the 18th century. And it's really cool to see that it really hasn't changed much since then at all. So it's part of this interesting family of instruments. Um, so sitar is included in that, the surbahar, um, and then also the temp- tampura. But some people kind of debate whether or not it belongs in the sitar family. The tampura is the drone sound. The serbihar is the deep sound that you'll hear. Probably if you looked up any kind of instrumentation or like Group of people that all play the sitar together. There's most likely you'll hear that low note in the background. Basically, the bass sitar is what the serbahar is. So it has this deep spirituality with it. Um, it's said to connect anyone who plays it to like a different realm, basically like the spiritual realm. Um, there's even a uh, saraswati who. Is the goddess of like music and art and singing and all sorts of beautiful things. And then she's seen as playing the old form of the sitar, the Veena, in her depiction. So if you look up Saraswati, you'll see her holding the vena on her throne. But those playing and those listening are said to kind of go into this meditative state, which I think is very interesting. And it's said to kind of connect you to that other side
1: most notably, um, right around when, um, the sitar was being, uh, used in Western music. Um, the, uh, basically the, the pioneer of the music to the Western world was Ravi Shankar. Um, and he's the guy who, uh, taught George Harrison how to play, uh, from the Beatles. And he also, uh, performed, um, Ravi Shankar performed at Woodstock like he's like he was that um masterful that he was able to like bridge the cultural uh barrier of being like oh yeah I'm going to play my sitar at this big rock show um so that's super cool um a sitar has roughly like 18 to 20 strings uh it varies based on some of the styles and some musicians have very like specific um needs or wants so like it's kind of modular um but so you're tuning all those strings up and they're friction tuners which means that it's just a a piece of wood jammed into another piece of wood and so you use like chalk to make them like stick better so it it's not the most reliable tuning um (laughs) so for one of the uh performances uh Ravi Shankar was tuning up And, um, the, the, after he was finished tuning, the crowd was like, yes, this is amazing. Um, and, uh, he was like, oh, um, if you like my tuning, I really hope you like my playing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was really, anyway, that's really funny. Um, also, um, right around, uh, the sitar, um, the reason the sitar is associated so closely with not so much rock and roll, but the, um, the drug culture around the Uh sixties is because it's a con, um, right around that LSD wasn't illegal yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so also that like became, yeah. So like acid became very popular Mm -hmm. around that time. And the, because the sitar has the, um, it like buzzes. Uh, it it has like the the note goes higher and then it comes it comes back down and like the same like strom or pluck. Um, people are like, whoa, what is this sound? It sounded like a bit foreign to the Western ears. And on top of that, um, the the spirituality is often conflated with the um, the dissociative state of. LSD. So, um they both are kind of so both were being promoted and there's a bit of overlap but uh not the kind you'd really want um as a sitarist um like wanting to please your audience. So, uh Ravi Shankar famously um stated in one of his interviews he was like, "Ah, I'm so upset that people keep coming to my shows high" Because I can't make them high with my music.
0: (laughs) It's already happening. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really interesting how it's used as like this transcendent musical instrument that helps you connect with the gods or a meditative state or a dissociative state. I think it's really like it can show like the power of music and certain instrumentation. But just like Caleb was saying where there are these like shifts in pitch and it has these really... Like the way you can slide the note around, it has the ability to make like really, really subtle expressions with its like, quote unquote, voice. Um, It allows the sitar to create music that's both like soothing and contemplative. And it's a very powerful tool for meditation and spiritual introspection. And like I said before, it's associated with the goddess Saraswati. And it also kind of meshed into something called Raga Rock. And something that Caleb and I both can't quite wrap our mind around what raga is, um, it's like this traditional melodic framework but that uses the sitar music, but it's more than a musical scale. So like each raga can be associated with like a time of day, a season, an emotion. And because it's used to like express so fully, like there's such a huge scale for expressing and evoking those emotions and spiritual states that these intricacies of Raga are often seen as like spiritual guides that are leading their listeners on a meditative journey, which makes sense as to why Ravi Shankar was so like upset Because he's like you like pre-gamed too hard (laughs) and you're not able to experience because you're you induced a dissociative state or a meditative state from like substances when I wanted you to come here and us all experience it together because I'm leading you there or what I'm playing those musical notes are your meditative guide instead of just everyone doing their own thing it was supposed to be a bit more collective than that. So when, you know, you look at the sitar, you hear the sitar, it has these beautiful spiritual ties. It has transcendence. It has these connections with the not only the musician, not just the listeners, not just the instrument, but like to a higher power on top of that, that like these just... Beautifully stringed instruments are just connecting people to each other in the universe as a whole. And I think that kind of harmony is something that to be really admired and understood. And I'm excited that Caleb and I get to go to see Ravi Shankar's daughter. She's considered like the most prolific and like renowned and like famous, I would say, sitar player or musician in the Western world at the very least, but might even be the entire world. And we get to see her and her orchestra or like band, but I think it's more of an orchestra. There's like six other people and then her, Um, but we'll get to go and see her play. And I'm so excited about it. And I'm really excited that Caleb invited me (laughs) because this will be a fun experience, especially because most of the time she's very like exclusive and, and not like world touring or anything really often. But Caleb, before you go, thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to plug, I'm going to have you talk about where we can find you and some of the work that you're interested in doing.
1: So my developer name is Triple C. I'm like, I can do Photoshop pretty well. I can uh, design like covers and um, like t-shirts and posters and stuff like that. I do uh, game development, uh, systems design. I'm in my master's program for information architecture, which is like, uh, the philosophy behind uh, website design and configuration.
0: All his information will be in the show notes below so you can check him out. Um, but before you go, I have a fun game that we can play, Creepy Core Edition. Are you ready? Yes. Would you rather sell your soul to be able to play historical sitar or rock and roll sitar?
1: Um, I would do... Rock and roll sitar. I'm, wow. I'm trying to learn um, sitar the correct way or the traditional way because the sitar is designed as a classical instrument. Like that's its purpose, um, and it's you're basically only playing one string. So it's mastery of like strumming that one string. So it's um, slightly limited in its uh, like uh, capacity to make different noises like an electric guitar would be um but it offers and it has so much precedent that um it would be very fun to like jam out, jam, jam out with like um modern like uh, conventions
0: next question is would you rather be able to meet Saraswati the goddess or Ravi Shankar
1: um most likely the goddess <laughs> um that
0: was hard though
1: it was kind of hard because um I don't know uh Ravi Shankar seems like a pretty cool guy but uh, meeting the um I guess the keeper of all of the uh like the from how it's described the sitar is just the like um the path that you follow to uh gain enlightenment from saraswati um so just meeting them directly seems like a pretty straightforward approach
0: okay last question is if you could make a transcendent experience as you're listening to or playing sitar music would you rather be able to kind of like go deep into your subconscious psyche or be able to astral project into the collective consciousness.
1: Um, I think uh, the astral projection would be pretty cool because it would um, it would kind of be like, oh, this instrument is my um, like superpower. <laughs> that's how it would kind of like present itself, or um, it almost like um, like a vessel to be able to uh, go traveling. Go traveling, yeah. <laughs> so that that's also pretty cool to think about
0: very cool I don't know if that's actually like how sitars work or what the transcendental experience is like when you're listening to it I don't know if it's like the goal is to astral project that's just my very like limited knowledge about it but it's really cool to imagine and I guess we'll experience it together when we get to see Anushka Shankar in all of her glory play her beautiful beautiful music um I can't wait for this experience I don't know what to expect I almost feel like I'm gonna like float away or something I'm excited but thanks for listening to us blab about an instrument we're both just learning about um and experiencing some like curiosity about its origins with us but thanks for listening and I will talk to you next week Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepycore and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email Folklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.